Henry, good quick change, buddy. Um, uh, when all these guys showed up this morning in black, Henry was doing his own thing, and somebody made him, you know, comply. A bunch of Johnny Cash guys up here this morning. Thank you for leading us in worship. Um, I think maybe we ought to uh, ought to consider just what a blessing it is to have people who can do just what we just experienced. Just stand in front, play music, lead prayer, and touch our lives on behalf of God and lead us to his throne. It is a gift that we sometimes take for granted. Uh, thank you each for your participation today. Um, if you missed uh, Debbie Maurer's uh, presentation about our, our brains and the fixed and growth mindset in our understanding and how that relates to our spiritual life, you really missed something today. Uh, I don't know if it got recorded. If it did, uh, you probably ought to check it out on this week's uh, service. We have been uh, talking for a little while about uh, things I want to talk about, and uh, today I would like to talk about the Lord's Prayer. It's listed in Luke 11 and in Matthew 6, and we'll very, very briefly touch on Luke 11. We'll be spending our time uh, mostly in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 is the, the uh, reporting of the Sermon on the Mount. And specifically this portion, Jesus is talking about uh, the way people go about worship. If you think about this section, he's saying people go about worship in the wrong way. They go about worship for their own uh, aggrandizement. They, they pray out in the middle of the street so people will say, hey, look, he's praying. They blow trumpets before they pour their offering in the, uh, in the great offering uh, boxes that are in the sanctuary. So people will say, hey, look how much money he's giving. And in each case, Jesus says they've already had their reward. What they wanted from this event was attention, and they got attention. What they didn't get was the experience intended from their giving and from their prayer. And so as, he, as we talk about this, I want, to, I want to quote 1 John 11, verse 1, or I'm sorry, that should say Luke 11, verse 1, my bad. Um, I want to quote this little comment from Luke because Luke throws in something that we don't have in Matthew. Because in the flow of what Matthew is sharing with us, he's just sharing, us the sermon, sharing with us the Sermon on the Mount, and he doesn't step in with the question from the disciples in the midst of it all. Apparently on this gathering in the Sermon on the Mount, as this large group of people are listening and talking to Jesus, he talks about prayer. He says, don't pray like this, don't pray like that, don't be repetitive like the pagans, don't go out in the middle of the street like some of the Pharisees. He said, you shouldn't be praying like that. So the disciples ask what you and I would ask. They say, hey, if we're, you're telling us how we're not supposed to do it, can you please teach us how to do it? John taught his disciples to pray, can you teach us to pray? This, this answer is a direct response from Jesus to the request, teach us to pray. So start with that in your mind. Start with a recognition that Jesus is answering a direct request from his followers about the question of how to pray. 
How should we pray? How should we do this? We're not supposed to be repetitive and just thinking our repetition, that's going to make God move. We're not supposed to be doing this so that other people will hear us pray and say, wow, what a great prayer that guy is. Instead, he says, this is how you're supposed to do it. Do it like this. Teach us to pray. This is how you pray. Okay? And this is the story. This is the prayer. The disciples ask, can you teach us to pray? Pray. And then the disciples' prayer, we always call it the Lord's Prayer, but it actually should be considered the disciples' prayer. The disciples' prayer is, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. That's the New Living translation of it. And there's one primary reason. Well, there's two primary reasons why I gave it. Can I have two primary reasons today? Two primary reasons. Number one, I wanted to read it to you in a version you hadn't heard a lot, so you wouldn't just check out. Because, oh, I've heard this before, and your brain checks out. Secondly, there's a line near the bottom. And don't let us yield to temptation. In the King James, in most translations, in fact, that line says, and I'll repeat this when we get to it later, that line says, and lead us not into temptation. I've been looking at this for about six weeks now. And that's the only thing I've had trouble with. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not. That, That contradicts James. James says, God is not tempted and he does not lead you into temptation. So why is this in the Lord's Prayer? Why is there a line in here about him not causing us to be tempted? So I kept reading, I kept researching, I kept trying to figure out what was going on, and I finally came across a commentator who said, first you have to understand that this passage, this this prayer, was repeated in Aramaic from Jesus to his disciples, not Greek. I said, okay, great, yeah, he he spoke Aramaic, yeah, great, everybody in the area spoke, what's the big deal? He said in Aramaic, there's a small, subtle, very important difference here. And in Aramaic, it doesn't say, don't lead us into temptation. It says, don't let us yield to temptation. That's why I got the New Living Translation. I have a Bible that's in the Aramaic. It actually is an ancient English translation. So it's from the ancient to ancient English to a modern translation. And, the, and I went and looked in that. Just to check these guys out, I went and looked in that text. And sure enough, this is what it says there too. In the language Jesus was speaking to his disciples, when he gets to that line, it reads like this. It says, don't let us yield to temptation. Now this thing fits. Now it makes sense with the whole of what we understand about the character of God and with the rest of Scripture. Sometimes I tell you, if you come across something that's confusing to you in the Bible, keep looking, keep researching, keep reading. There's an answer somewhere. Don't give up. Keep trying. And I've been at this for about six weeks looking at this passage. And only this week did I come across that. So don't quit. Keep trying. And, and, and when it was time for me to actually preach this passage, then the Lord finally let me see what I was confused about. Kind of the way these things work out, isn't it? So I want to start with this one. The text begins, Our Father. This is the disciples' prayer. Because only those who have chosen to follow God have this kind of intimate connectivity. Our Father. 
Don't forget, it's easy to throw this away. It's easy to think everybody talks like this. No, in the first century, nobody talked like this. You didn't go to the God of heaven. You didn't even speak his name. You would skip his name when it was written in scripture because it was too significant, too important, too big a deal for you to say his name. So for you to kneel down and in your prayers, he says to the disciples, disciples say, how do we pray? Okay, we're not supposed to pray like those guys. We're not supposed to pray like those guys. How are we actually supposed to do this? And he says, here's how you start. You start by saying, our father. And everybody in the audience would have went, wow, really? That's how we do this? We're supposed to start out by saying, our father? Our father? Like, heaven, God, the guy who made everything, our father? You and I take it for granted because we have become such a, so acculturated to this intimate connection with God. But when he sets this forward, he's saying, you are intimately connected with God. You are a child of God. You are sons and daughters of the kingdom. You know why this picture's here? Because little Johnny Jr. did not have to be stressed out about playing under the president's desk. He's the son of the president. He's his son. He doesn't have to worry about opening the doors on this famous old desk given to us by the British hundred years ago. He doesn't have to be stressed about looking around and playing around in the president's office. If you and I went to the president's office, would you crawl under his desk? Excuse me, Mr. Obama, I want to look under here. How long do you think you'd stay in the office? You'd be out in seconds, right? Somebody would grab you by your belt and drag you out, right? He's in his pajamas. You've seen this, this picture probably before. Did you notice he's in his pajamas? Would you go in the president's office in your pajamas? Would you get into the president's office if you wore your pajamas? That's the deal. When you're related to the king of the universe, the relationship is different. When you start your prayer, you start by establishing who you are in relationship to who he is. Word one, phrase one, our father. You are my father. I am your son. I am your daughter. I am coming to you not as a stranger, not as a beggar, not as somebody who, who has no relationship, who has no desire to follow you, who has no connection with you. I'm coming to you as one of your children, our father. I want you to get this because this is a setup for the whole thing. Okay, this is the setup for the whole rest of the prayer. It's an intimate, relational prayer. It is inviting you into a connectedness with God that you may not have ever understood before. It is inviting the disciples into a connectedness with God that they almost certainly didn't understand before. God was distant. God was special. God was separate. And it was meant to stay that way. God was not to be, to be, God was not to be treated as someone you could easily approach. He was to be treated as someone distant who you should be just a little afraid of, if not a lot afraid of. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. When you talk to God, call him your father. Recognize the invitation into his presence. Recognize that if you crawl under his desk, he will probably have a little smile on his face. You notice the Kennedy's smiling like the Mona Lisa right here? You think he doesn't know his son's under the desk? You know, who knows what he's looking at? You know, should we bomb Cuba or not? 
And his son's crawling under the desk. And he's just kind of smiling because i got all this going on and there's my little boy. All the way to the world on his shoulders and a little bit of joy because under his desk is his little boy. When you come to God, when you kneel down, when you stand up, when you lift your eyes towards heaven and you pray, a little smile crosses his faith because you're his daughter, you're his son, and you've come into his presence saying, Our Father. Our Father. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. This is the Christmas season. You know, at Christmas season, there's always those movies about going home, right? Usually there's some big turmoil, you know. You've been fighting with your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, and you come home, and there's always that. The, the, the drama has to be, how's this relationship going to be when you get there, right? There's this coming home thing, and there's, what's it going to be like when I get home? How, am I going to be welcomed home? What's home going to be like? Our Father in heaven. That second phrase is, this is where I belong. That second phrase is, that's my home. Our Father in heaven, where my Father lives is my house. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. You can be home at Dad's house. Our Father in heaven. Recognizing an establishment of the relationship with God and an understanding that your real, your real place, your real home, the, the, the expected arrival place for you when you finally get home is actually heaven. You belong to him who dwells in heaven. That is your home. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. We don't use hallowed a lot, right? You don't wander around the halls in your work saying, Oh, hallowed be the drinking fountain. Right? We don't use the word hallowed at all. It's not, an, it's not a modern English word. And so we're a little bit separated from the idea of something being hallowed by the simple fact that it's kind of an old English terminology. I like it because it seems kind of elevated. It's different. It's, it's not an ordinary word we use, but I like some of these others that are in here. Supreme, cherished, holy, honored, loved, noble, ruler, known, Messiah, wonderful. Respected, obeyed, adored. It's all gathered in that idea. Holy, hallowed. You're special, you're not ordinary. You're beyond everything. Hallowed and above. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Our Father, intimate connection, relational start. In heaven, where I belong, where, we, where we're really connected. Holy. Adored. The essence of everything in the universe. The creator, cherished, reverenced, respected, ruler, noble. Hallowed. Different. In the first century, the idea, and in the prior centuries, the idea that you knew someone's name and you used that name kind of had the idea that you were a little bit in control, that somehow you could control someone by their name, and especially the gods. The pagans believed if you knew the name of the god, you could kind of manipulate the god by the use of his name. This is a separation of that idea. 
It's a separation of that, that idea. You can be intimate and in connection with God and still recognize that he is God and you are not. You can still understand that he is the God, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things. He's inviting you into this intensely cool, bound up, connected relationship. He's inviting you into that relationship. But at the same time, he's still God. He's still different from you. He's still holy. This, this is, uh, is covered, I think, real well in Psalm 99. I just got the beginning of it here. I'm going to read the whole thing uh, to you from Scripture, but I want you to see a portion of it up there on the, on, the, on the text. The Lord is King. Let the nations tremble. He sits on the throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem. Above, exalted above all the nations. You get the picture? He's bigger. He's, he's greater. He's beyond our understanding. What he is and who he is and the things about him are so amazing that it should shake the earth. That the, the, the ground under your feet should shake a little bit when God's around. Do you remember what happened when God descended on top of Mount Sinai? Do you remember the picture of what happened that day? When Jesus Jesus descends on top of Mount Sinai, when God's feet hit Mount Sinai, what happens to the mountain? It begins to shake. The mountain begins to shake. The mountain starts to smoke like it's on fire. This whole mountain is shaking and roaring like a giant volcano, just smoke billowing up into the sky. Israel is standing around at the base of this mountain going, whoa, we weren't really expecting this. Israel is blown away by what's happening, but when the presence of God shows up, when the exalted one who created everything lands on the earth, touches down on the creation, the creation responds and it begins to shake. It begins to move, not in fear, but because he is so exalted, because he is the creator of all things. The molecular structure of the earth responds and begins to dance when God's feet hit the planet. Yep, and I did say it begins to dance. The earth itself begins to move under the feet of the exalted creator of all things. Not fearfully. I don't think it's fearful. I think it's praise. I think it's the planet coming in contact with its creator and the very structures that he put in place respond. Here's the rest of Psalm 99. Some of, you, some of you just got so blown away by what I just said, you're going to struggle. So let me just read back tonight, Psalm 99. Let them, let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The King is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His footsteps. He is holy. Moses and Aaron are among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. He kept his statutes and decrees he gave to them. The Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God. You punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain for the Lord our God is holy. Our Father, which art in heaven, 
Hallowed be thy name. Here's how you pray. Your father wants you to talk to him. Your father in heaven wants you to understand where you belong, where you're headed, what, what the goal is at the end of the day. And he's holy and he's magnificent and his name should be exalted and hallowed above anything or, that you ever thought of before. Do you see the juxtaposition here? Come to this intimate relationship, coming to this relationship where you get to call him dad, where you get to call him father, and at the same time recognize he's so awesome and so beyond you. He is your heavenly father. He is not your old man. By get, being given the opportunity to speak to him as your father, you are not being given the opportunity to lower the value of who you're speaking to, to think less of him, to think he's not exalted, to think he's not amazing, to not understand him as the creator of all things, the redeemer of all things, the one who hears and answers prayer, to not understand that he is the one who controls the molecular structure of your very being, that if he were not sustaining you and holding you together, you would disintegrate. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is one of my favorite parts, my favorite parts of this entire passage. Your kingdom come, that's our hope, that's our prayer. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done, let your will be done. Here where I live, like it's done in heaven. Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come is a reach out and grasping of the second coming. It's living in the hope of a return. It's living in the recognition that there will one day be a Jesus in the clouds. That there will one day be a last day for sin on the planet. Let your kingdom come. It's reaching forward to that day and saying, I am for this. I want this. I am in favor of this. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on the earth. Let your kingdom come. And, oh, by the way, not just when your kingdom comes in the future. Right now in the present, can your will be done here on the earth? Sinful as it may be. Messed up as it may be. This isn't simply one thing in the future. This is both in the future and the present. One of my professors used to call this the already, but not yet. It's already here, but it hasn't yet happened fully. It's already, but it's not yet. Yes, we're reaching forward in faith to the fact that he's coming. But let your kingdom come now on the earth. Let your will be done now in my life. Let your will be done now. Let you be the king of who I am, of where I go, of what I do. Can you be the king? Can your kingdom come in my job? Can your kingdom come in my family? Can your kingdom come in my relationships? Can your kingdom come in my wallet? Can your kingdom come in my whole stinking, messed up human life? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. This is an amazing piece of this prayer. That is an amazing thing to ask. We all should be coming to this every day. You talk about a surrender statement. This is the surrender of all surrenders. I want you to be king of my life. I don't want to take over. I don't want to run this thing anymore. I want you to have your will in my life, in my relationship with my spouse. You be king. In my relationship with my kids, you be king. In my relationship with my boss, you be king. In my relationship with my employees, you be king. Whatever my role, wherever I am, 
Top of the mountain, bottom of the valley. Wherever I am, you be king, not me. Let your will be done in my life as the ruler of my life as it is in heaven. Nobody questions it. Nobody disobeys it. Nobody pushes back against it. It's just done. Can you imagine a world that lived like that? Can you imagine a world where just the church lived like that? Can you imagine your life? It was like that. Can you imagine what would happen in this building if it were like that? Let your kingdom come in Grace Point Church. Let your will be done here as it is done in heaven. No equivocating, no arguing, no complaining, just letting it be done. That's the power of this prayer. This is not a a pass-through prayer. This is not just one of those little pass it off and repeat it and be on your way. Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, gives us our daily bread. No! He's saying, look, this, these are the roots of what prayer is like. These are the, these are the rootstocks upon which you will build an entire life of prayer. Understand who I am. Understand where I am. Understand that I am exalted far above you. And understand that I want an intimate relationship with you. I will be your king if you choose. I will allow the will. I will, I will step into your life and bring my will into your life if you let me. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Nobody in heaven is questioning the will of God. Nobody. There's nobody up there saying, well, I don't know, that's, you know, that kind of plan, God, it's a, it's a little risky. I, I'm not sure that I want to be uh, uh, engaged really with that. It, it seems, uh, seems like it might be a little stressful for me. People are saying, good idea, good plan, let's go. Let your will be done in my marriage, Lord. You be the king of my family. I know I've been trying to be king. Pretty sure my wife has been trying to be queen. But you be king of my marriage. Let your kingdom come into my house. When my neighbors walk in the door, hey, they recognize you are the king of the place where I live. May everybody who knows me understand that you're the king. When I make choices, On the freeway, you be king. When I make choices on how I go about my business from day to day, you be king. When I make choices about how I interact with the people I know and love, you be king. Lord, I've been avoiding some things. Lord, I've been trying to be king in certain areas. I've kind of given you 90% kingship, or maybe 85 or 75 or 50. You can decide what your percentage is. Today I'm saying, okay, 100% king. 100% king. When I turn on my television, you be king of my choices.
When I turn on my radio, you be king of what I listen to. No matter what part of my life I have been holding on to, today I choose for you to be king. Let your kingdom come. This is a question, this is a statement about the broader picture. Yeah, it's global. But global is only personal. Spread across everybody. Global doesn't happen unless it happens personally to the globe. You be king. Let your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Note the word daily. Note the word day. In this next section is the, are the requests that relate to life. Specifically, I need you to sustain me. When the disciples are taught this prayer, they're still dependent on rain as to whether or not they're going to eat. It stops raining in Israel, you stop eating. So the fact that they're praying for their daily bread is much more intense for them because you and I, if it stops raining, get food imported from Chile, where it's still raining. In fact, in the middle of winter, you're going to get tomatoes and avocados. Why? Somebody shipped them from someplace where it's not winter. This is, a, this is a fairly recent dynamic. 25, 30 years ago, Brenda and I were at seminary. She was only 12. <laughs> Lettuce at seminary was like four bucks a head. I don't know where it was coming from, but the stuff was like gold. Freezing cold in Michigan. They weren't growing any lettuce. Today, I can buy lettuce at Winco in the middle of winter when nothing like that is growing around here. 50 cents. Buck, maybe. We have, we, we have a society where food is so plentiful that we don't even think about it. We walk into the store and buy stuff that shouldn't be there. And we think, okay, cool. Look, mangoes. Got a mango tree in your yard? We take for granted our dependence. But this is a statement about dependence. Lord, I recognize that I am dependent upon you for every good and perfect gift. Everything that comes my way, my very bread, my very sustenance, my very existence. Do you realize the sanctuary? The sanctuary had a reminder of this. The sanctuary had three things in that, outer, in that court that's the holy court. In the holy place of the sanctuary, there's a pile of bread. And I was, well, that's kind of a weird thing. And if they want to make it the communion bread and all that. No, it's just a reminder. You're dependent on God for your daily bread. That's all it is. You're, a, you're dependent on God for the sustaining of your life. Give us this day our daily bread. First, re- first request is about a daily need. Today's needs. I, I need you for today's things, God. I recognize I need your help for today's stuff, for just survival. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Scariest line in the whole prayer. Because it makes forgiveness relational. Forgiveness in this relationship connected to forgiveness in these relationships. Lord, let me as be, let, let's, turn this, let's turn this around. Lord, let me be as forgiving of others as you are of me. Let me as be as forgiving of others as you are of me. Let me be as forgiving as, of others as I hope you are of me. Let me be as forgiving of others as I expect you to be of me. Let me be as forgiving as others as you are of me. Forgiveness. Receive it. Pass it on. Grace. Accept it. Pass it on. Let me be as forgiving as, of others as you are of me. You know what forgiveness is looking at? The past. Daily bread is looking at right now. Forgiveness is looking at the past. Lord, can we just clear up the past? My relationship with others, can we clear that up? Can, I, can, we just, can you teach me to be forgiving like you are? And oh, by the way, can you forgive me as well? Forgive me. Help me to see how that same forgiveness applies to everybody else. Receive it. Pass it on. To be a Christian, according to C.S. Lewis, means to forgive the inexcusable. Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And last, do not let us enter into temptation, but deliver us from wrong. That's the translation from the ancient Eastern text. Don't let us don't let us fall into temptation, but deliver us from wrong. So I want you to keep, see something. Daily bread, I need you today. Forgiveness, I need you in the past. Temptation, I need you in the future. The end of this prayer covers my present, my past, and my future. My present daily need, my past clear it up, my future with you in it. My present, my past, and my future as the prayer closes. Don't let us enter into temptation, but deliver us from wrong. God, I'm dependent on you for today. I'm dependent on you for yesterday. I'm dependent on you for tomorrow. The prayer ends with the saint, with the disciple, with the follower of Jesus saying, I'm not going to work out today by myself. I need your help. I'm not going to work out yesterday by myself. I need your help. And I'm not going to work out tomorrow by myself. I need your help. The power in this prayer is that it's all connected to the relationship with our Father. Our Father. That is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. On this earth... And in my life, like it is in heaven. Give us today. Give me today. Help me today. 
with my daily requirement, my daily needs. Forgive my sins as I forgive others. Help me to be as forgiving as you are. And hold my hand, because tomorrow's a little scary to me. The more I look at this, and I've told you I've been looking at it for several weeks now, the more I recognize that this entire prayer is built on a relationship. It's about how I relate with God, how He relates with me, and how I relate with you. This is not the Lord's Prayer. It's the Lord's example. It's the disciples' prayer. And if you are a follower of Jesus, it's yours. Let's close with prayer. Father in heaven, our Father, Thank you for opening the veil and allowing us into your presence and inviting us to come seeking mercy at the mercy seat. Thank you for daily sustenance. Thank you for cleansing yesterday and knowing tomorrow. Today, as we close this service, I want to invite you to be king. King in my life and in every part of it. And I want to ask for your will to be done completely as it is in heaven. And I want to ask for the faith to trust you with both. Father, I present this prayer on behalf of myself and I hold it out for all of us who are following after you. We thank you for your invitation to pray for this magnificent example. In the name of Jesus, amen.